good to see you all here today. May the Lord bless you richly and thank you for this time of worship here this morning and just pray for the blessing of the Lord to richly increase upon us. We're looking at the book of Hebrews during these summer weeks and last week we touched again in terms of the opening few chapters, one and chapter two, looking at the whole theme of the superiority of Christ. You see, when you look at the essence of Christianity and those building blocks upon which our faith rests, if you take Jesus out of that message, then this faith, Christianity, crumbles to the ground. Or even if you have a Jesus that is not the Jesus of Scripture, Christianity crumbles to the ground. If you claim to know the Lord and yet you deny either his humanity or his deity, then your faith is built on candy floss. It is Christ himself. He is the cornerstone, the foundation. He is the bedrock of our faith. He is the lion. He is the lamb. He is the one in whom we trust. He is the gateway of faith. He is the one in whom and through whom all things consist. Jesus is the centre. And really that in essence is what the book of Hebrews is all about. When we have this Jewish community of faith-filled believers who were going through seasons of opposition. They'd known the law, the Psalms, the prophets. They understood something of the temple sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And yet they'd also come to a place of revelation concerning the truth of who Jesus is. But because of these problems, it was far easier to go back to the Old Testament because that was a comfort zone. That was a safe place. If you believed the Old Testament, then you weren't being persecuted. So the writer is reminding them of how, yes, the Old Covenant was in place, set forth by God, but ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. To go on to maturity means that we, yes, having laid the foundation stones of our life, we have to build. We have to move forward, don't we? We're pilgrims who have to make progress. And that is the word of the Lord. And here in chapter 4, reading the opening 13 verses again, the writer is talking about faith. He's talking about the fact that Israel missed the will of God because of their unbelief. And really the book of Hebrews is all about faith. Faith in God. Faith in his word. Faith in his promises. Faith in what Christ has accomplished for us. Faith in God's redeeming grace. So let's read this passage of scripture where it says, Therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished 
since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. In these words, on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. And again, in the same passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when, a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's side. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Or to put it simply, God knows everything. There is nothing hidden from him. Nothing is concealed, nothing is swept under the carpet, everything is laid bare and wide open. Interestingly enough, this phrase carries with it a picture from the temple sacrificial system, whereby the phrase laid bare is likened unto the sacrificial lamb whose neck had to be turned And its neck was then exposed and, forgive the graphic illustration here today, then its throat was cut as part of the sacrificial system. Everything was laid bare. Everything was on the altar. Everything was brought into the light. And friends, if we're going to be a people who walk in the light as he's in the light, then we have to be a people who are willing to allow the Lord to do everything that he wants to do in our lives. Would you agree this morning that as we come before him, we do so knowing full well that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Sometimes we think, well, God doesn't see this or he doesn't see that. God is in the dark over this area of my life. But actually God knows us, yet he loves us. He knows you warts and all, and yet despite all of that, he loves you. His grace is upon you. There's no good work that you can accomplish that will make God love you any more. Neither is there any sin that you can commit that will make God love you any less. And that's grace, isn't it? That's the message of the gospel. But we come here to the writer and his epistle to the church of the Hebrew believers. And he talks here about an example from Israel's early history. And he talks about the fact that those who came up out of Egypt weren't those who occupied the land. Apart from Joshua, everybody 
under the age of 20, and the Levites and Caleb. Apart from that small company of people, everyone else perished in the wilderness. Even though they were the ones who saw the miracles in Egypt, they saw the parting of the Red Sea, they saw God provide for them. At so many times and in different ways, even though they saw the hand of God move and the justice of God revealed, they did not lay hold of the promises of God. Just because you were brought out doesn't automatically guarantee that you will enter in. And we need to understand here, and the writer is warning us that it was because of their unbelief Pure and simple, that Israel failed to enter into the promised land. Even though God had spoken, even though God had moved, even though God had demonstrated his power, they still chose not to believe. And the writer is using this as an illustration and as a warning to say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Learn the lesson from Israel because what can happen to them can happen to you. If we're not a people who walk in faith continually, faith is something that is a lifestyle, isn't it? A gift, yes, from the Lord, but faith is something that is transformative. But if we don't hear and heed the voice of God, the consequences are clearly set out in the word of the Lord. Now, as we just develop this theme around what chapter 4 is teaching, there's two major subjects that I want to touch upon here this morning. The first one is to do with the work of God. And we're told here that there is a rest that we can enter into, God's Sabbath rest. And the writer is saying that this rest remains to enter into something. But what is this rest? Is it one day off a week? Or is it something more significant, deeper and more eternal? Well, the writer, as I've already said, retraces the early history of Israel and how they forfeited the purposes of God because of unbelief. And then he talks about the Sabbath rest. He talked about the fact that they shall never enter my rest. Why? Because of unbelief. But this takes us back, doesn't it, to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Where we read of how, and it says here, in Genesis 2, the opening second and third verse, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. So this is the benchmark for what we know as the Sabbath. So over six days God created the heavens and the earth. He then, having created the heavens and the earth, he then populated it, made it fruitful, caused the land to bring forth life and the division between the land and the sea and the sky and the earth and so many different aspects of that wonderful process of creation. Then on day six, we know that man was formed out of the dust of the earth. And then out of man was formed the woman. That was the creation process. But then on the seventh day, 
it says that God made it holy. And into the law of Moses, God would say to Israel, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So God had set forth six days of labour and one day of rest. Interestingly enough, if you look at those first six days in Genesis 1, they all have a refrain to them. This was the evening, this was the morning. And on each of the six days, there was that refrain, evening and morning. When we come to day seven, the phrase is not used. Why is that? Well, God had finished his work. He then rested on the seventh day and has been resting ever since. But it's not rest from work because the Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power. It's rest in the work. God has accomplished everything that he's ever going to do. Do you understand that? So there is no end to this day. It says here that on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. And then it's linked in with the fact that Israel did not enter into that rest. Why? Because of unbelief. The writer says that therefore since it still remains for some to enter that rest and since those who have formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of disobedience. But this call to enter into God's rest is still there. Now that was then embodied in the Sabbath. One day out of seven Israel was commanded to step aside, to look up, to look within, to worship, to pray, to read the word, one day out of seven. But that seventh day cycle carried a far greater meaning than simply giving Israel a day off. Physically, it's a good idea to have that time of rest, to recuperate, to regain our strength. But there was something deeper in the Sabbath than just simply having a day off once a week to pray and to go to the synagogue. That Sabbath spoke of something beyond itself. So what does it mean when the writer is saying we have to enter into that rest? Because the Bible says here that that rest was offered in the days of Joshua and in the days of David. But they still did not enter into it. So it was more than just a day off. Had they entered into it in the days of Joshua, then there would have been no need to repeat the clarion call. So what is God saying? What is the true fulfilment of the Sabbath day? Well, it is, to put it as simply as I can, it is the simple and the glorious finished work of Christ. That's it. So if you celebrate the Sabbath without understanding the true meaning of that, then you fall short. If all you do is think, well, a Sabbath, well, for the Jews would be a Saturday. If all you do is think, well, I've got to have a day off because that's what the Old Testament says. Without understanding the bigger and the wider perspective around the fact that it's entering into God's rest. So as God rested from his work... On day seven, so we rest from our work. In other words, the finished work of Jesus is not understood or entered into on the basis of human effort and will. We don't strive. We don't try and control the Lord. 
We don't try and manipulate him to give us a gift of salvation. We enter into that promise and receive the gift by faith. And by faith alone. So what we see of Israel in the wilderness is an example of those who have been partakers of the grace of God but failed to enter into the promises of God. Why? Because of their unbelief. And that's still true for us today. Unless we stand by faith, we do not stand at all. So the Sabbath weekly rest was foreshadowed Yes, spoken of in the law, but it was something that spoke beyond itself. So what is the writer saying? He says, today if you hear the voice of God, what is this voice of God? Don't harden your heart. What is the voice of God? It is repent and turn to the Lord. It is to flee from that which binds you. It is to lay aside those weights and sins. Today, if you hear his voice, not yesterday or tomorrow, it's a revelation of a now word from God. Present truth today. It's not about saying, well, I heard God 10 years ago. That's great. But what did you do with that word from 10 years ago? Well, God's going to speak to me next week. That's wonderful. I hope he does. But at the end of the day, it's today. What's God saying to you now? Today, if you hear his voice, the word today is absolutely emphatic. It says, right, you are in the now moment. If he speaks to you, do not harden your heart. Do not put it off. Do not procrastinate. Do not think, well, that's a good word, but it's for her or for him. It's a now word into your life. And the writer is saying, look, you're going back to the old covenant. You're seeking solace in the familiar territory of law and priesthood. But there's a revelation of the now word of God that you need to understand. The work of God is rest. And as Christians, we have to understand that that's what we're called to live in. There's so much striving in church life, isn't there? There's so much huffing and puffing and people thinking, well, God will accept me because of what I do, my busyness, my ministry, my calling. Well, all of these things will affirm me in the eyes of the Lord. Well, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. It's interesting that one of the requirements of the priests, they served in the sanctuary, but they had to wear garments. You have to remember this is the Middle East. They had to wear garments, which meant that they wouldn't perspire. There was no sweat in the presence of the Lord. There was no striving. No one perspired. You read it then, the Old Testament. Why? Because grace is something that leads us. Works are things that drive us. And there's a lot of sweating going on in the body of Christ, isn't there? We need to be a people who enter into God's rest. Not a rest from work. Yes, there are seasons when we need to take time out, and that's good. But it's rest in the work, isn't it? It's living in the finished work of God, in and through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. 
There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So if it's good enough for God to rest, and he runs the universe, by the way, surely it's something that we need to understand. Take time out. Let the Lord work through his purpose and his will. Let us... Therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Wow, this is really, really on the nail, isn't it? We live, we walk, we have our being in what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing in us, and what Christ will yet do through us. It's living in grace. Yes, we have responsibilities. It doesn't let us off the hook. We're not without law. God's word still remains, but we're not called to gain God's approval based on works-based righteousness. The only righteousness that will get you into heaven is not yours, it's Jesus's. And he gives that to you as a gift. So it's his righteousness that becomes the means of grace by which we enter into the fullness of God's will and purpose. So the work of God is entering into the rest of God. Let's move on. We have now the word of God. And this is my main text for you here today. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Not may give account, but will give account. There's coming a day, as it says, that man is appointed once to die, and then what? The judgment. That is the commanded word of the Lord. And here we have the word of the Lord defined. Now you probably think that this latter part about the Bible or the word of God almost sits separately to the previous few verses. But in fact, it doesn't. It's all part of the same message. Because when it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We are then given an insight into what this voice means and it is defined as something that is alive and active. It's not just simply words on a page. We have the written word of God, but also there is the living word of God, Christ himself. So this voice is alive and active. If God speaks, he speaks as a living person, doesn't he? Not as someone who sends a dry, dead code written on tablets of stone. He doesn't send a memo or an email or a text message. He doesn't leave a message on our voicemail. He speaks himself. He comes in his presence and his power. And what he declares to you and to me today is himself. No wonder it says that the word of God is alive and active. It's God himself. 
But what about this word? Let me just say a few things about it. Number one, it's a powerful word. It's a double-edged sword. Wow. It's not the sword of an angry soldier chopping people's heads off. It's the sword of a surgeon. Someone who is precise in operating on a body that needs some attention. It's accurate. It's specific. It's not a blunt instrument. It's something that is carefully honed. But it's a powerful word. It's alive and it's active. God's word is alive and active. That's why the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let this word be in you. Be alive in the word of the Lord as the word of the Lord is alive in you. So God's transformative power comes to us in a way that changes everything. It's a powerful word to us collectively, to you individually. It's alive. The Bible is alive. It's a powerful word. Secondly, it's a personal word. It judges the attitudes of the heart. It divides the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, as we read the word, the word of God reads us, which is more important. As we come before the Lord, what does the work of God do in us? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It is to work in our hearts and in our minds to clear our consciences from dead works that our minds and our hearts might be in tune with the Lord. And that's how he speaks. It's the surgeon operating in the theatre to bring health out of brokenness. It is the discerning power of the Lord. But it's a word for you and it's a word for me. Yes, Together, and often the phrase let us is used, and it's used very much in chapter 10, where on so many occasions it says, well, let us do this, let us do that. We're together as the body, but at the end of the day, you stand before the Lord alone. It is the word of the Lord that reads hearts and minds, as it says, I think it was to one of those churches in the book of Revelation. It is he who judges hearts and minds he reads us by the Holy Spirit conviction comes as the Holy Spirit works in our heart and in our mind it's all about a clear conscience before the Lord because a clear conscience is one that discerns between good and evil that's Hebrews 5 and that's Hebrews 6 those who are mature have trained their senses to discern between good and evil. It's a personal word. And we as the church of Jesus Christ. Need to understand that God. Wants to speak to you and to me. And he can do it through his word. Amen. Amen. Thirdly a penetrating word. Again it's the picture of the surgeon. In the theatre. With the scalpel. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates. How far are we willing to allow this surgeon, this great physician, to penetrate our hearts? Is it just outwardly, 
which is ceremonialism, an Old Testament priesthood, or is it inwardly where God cuts and goes where law and rules and regulations can never go? The word of the Lord in its essence is the only means by which God can accomplish what he wants to do in our lives. Religion doesn't do it. Going round in motions, going round in circles, pretending to be a believer doesn't cut it. It is the word of the Lord that penetrates. The soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Are we this morning willing for allow the Lord to do his work in our hearts? Because Israel failed at this very point. All these things were points of failure for Israel because they refused to allow the word of God to do its perfect work. It's a penetrating work with a penetrating word. Fourthly and finally, a purifying word. I love what it says in the book of Ephesians that we are washed with the word of God. It's like a glorious shower, isn't it? We are washed and cleansed by the word of God. No wonder the writer would say today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why? Because if you do harden your heart, then I'm afraid you miss out on what God wants to do and you forfeit the plans that he has for your life. So today, if you hear his voice, listen to what he says. And in the listening, there is the purifying. In the obedience, there is change, isn't there? As we listen to God's word and put it into practice, so we are like the builder who builds not upon the sun, but rather upon the rock. Both of those two builders both heard the word of God. They both heard what Jesus said. But the difference between one builder and the other is that the one heard, but did nothing with what he had heard, but the other heard the same message, but put it into practice, therefore building his house, not upon sand, but upon the rock. The message is built upon Jesus. Today, if you hear his voice, you can hear his voice today. How do you do that? Well, read the Bible. There you have it. The written word of God with an open heart, an honest and open desire to receive what God says and to apply what God says because you have to remember unless the scripture is applied it is never correctly interpreted it's only out of application does the word of the Lord come alive so we can hear the voice of God through prayer through the study of the scriptures through even advice and counsel from one another God can speak in so many different ways but let us be open For if today you hear the voice of God, then please put it into practice. Amen. 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 Let's pray together, shall we? Hallelujah. Father God, today, we just want to thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we've been reminded again of eternal things, not temporal things. We've been reminded, Lord, that there is a rest to enter into. There is a place of absolute peace 
sometimes in the midst of the storm, but a place where we can find that security and those heavenly boundaries. So, Lord, I just pray for every single person here today. Lord, I thank you for all these dear folk, young and old, visitors from different parts of the country. We bless you for them. We thank you for their presence here today. We just remember those who, for different reasons, are away from us at this time as well. Lord, may you bless them and encourage them by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you all.